Hello, welcome to another episode of Finding Peaks. I'm Jason Friesma. Joining me today is Maddie Fry, the Clinical Operations and Compliance Specialist here at Peaks, which is, um, I think, a pretty cool title. Uh, it's it's uh, newish. It's newish, yeah. I am doing some administrative stuff. I'm doing some therapy stuff. I'm doing um, all the things in between. So, yeah. yeah, just wearing a lot of different hats these days. Yeah, so you get a long title. Uh, sure when you wear do. a lot of hats, yes. it requires a lot of words Absolutely. to describe your title. Anyway, what we're here to talk about today uh, is we're going to talk about trauma and then uh, the utilization of EMDR, um, which I know you are trained in and, and passionate about. But let's start with, with trauma. What I think it seems obvious, but maybe what is trauma? Yeah. Um, so many different directions that I could go with okay. this. Yeah, pick one. Yeah. yeah. But I think what tends to resonate with people the most is when I say that your brain comes to some conclusion and it, and it has its mind made up about something, um, but your body is telling a whole different story. Mm. Um, when your brain and your body aren't telling the same story, that's how I identify trauma. And okay. that seems to resonate with a lot of people yeah. um, because it takes away the idea that um, it has to be this amount bad or it has to be um, this shocking of a story in order for it to be something difficult that you've been through. But a lot of us resonate with the idea that sometimes we just can't get our bodies online with what our brain thinks. And yeah. I think that's how I would boil it down. Okay. Yeah. What what do you think a body offline is? Like, what, do, what would that mean? Like, yeah, if somebody's kind of sitting in their sure. trauma. Tons of different things. Honestly, like, I think that's when we see people dysregulated, just not showing up like themselves or finding themselves um, doing things that maybe then they regret or look back on and say, like, that wasn't what I intended. I just, um, I wasn't in a place to be, like, using my full mind and my full personality to, yeah. to walk through that situation. And... Um, I mean, when I think about the, the, the clients that I've worked with, that's when people have a distance from who they mean to be, hmm. um, whether that's how their mental health shows up or whether that's how substance use shows up or whatever that is. Um, most people are just trying to stop that feeling of dysregulation or panic or to, to get distance from it or something along those lines. But um, I think that's how I recognize it, at least with the people that we have here. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it, I, th I think I've probably shared this with you before, and, and maybe we've even talked about it on, the, on this podcast, but I, um, I did a lot of work with vets coming back from Iraq and Afghanistan, and I was a newly trained EMDR therapist at the time. I and didn't think I knew that. Oh, okay, good. Breaking <laughs> news for you. Um, but yeah, like when, when these guys were coming back, like uh, I, what I, how I would describe it to them would be, it's like they have a foot still in Iraq or in mm -hmm. Afghanistan and then a foot here. Mm -hmm. And that seemed to resonate with those guys a lot. And, and they, they would know they're in Colorado Springs driving on I-25, but if there was a box on the road, they were so used to kind of having to avoid um, improvised explosive devices and that, that mm -hmm. they would like swerve around, uh, you know, in their pickup or something, mm -hmm. thinking, part of them thinking that they were still kind of back uh, in, in theater, if you will. And, yeah. and so, you know, a lot of the focus was on how do we kind of bring the feet back mm -hmm. in, together in, in this present moment. Yeah. Um, and, and so uh, the other thing that you mentioned that I thought of is that I think one of the subtle indicators of trauma too is people have difficulty in interpersonal relationships, mm -hmm. right? 
like trauma involves doing a lot of avoidance of triggers and you know maybe having nightmares and flashbacks and that sort of thing mm -hmm. um, for what we call capital T trauma. We can mm -hmm. get to that later, but um, kind of a more subtle feature is just some difficulty in relationships. And I think um, you know what you described as being out of accordance with one's body mm -hmm. and uh, was a body and mind. Body, yeah, like when they emotions. just don't agree. Or yeah, they where, just don't line up. where there's that incongruency, yeah. or you know, for me, the foot here, foot somewhere mm -hmm. else. Um, it makes interpersonal relationships pretty challenging, I think. Yeah. And um, I don't think people think about that as a a part of a trauma reaction mm -hmm. as well. And families experience that too, where it's like I just can't seem to connect with my loved one mm -hmm. for some reason. Yeah. Well, and then I think about um, the the whole avoidance of triggers that you were talking about, yeah. especially if it's relational trauma or um, kind of more along the lines of emotional trauma, mm. people will get pretty good at finding out how to not get hurt again. And so a lot of times that creates distance mm. from people in relationships. Yeah. But then one of the things that I remember at least learning in, in some of the trauma courses that I took was some of the protective factors for actually getting through something traumatic or healing from something traumatic is relationships. And then spirituality also is mm. a big part of it. Yeah. But both of those components, if you can figure out how to make those work for you and, and use what you've learned to keep yourself safe, um, but it usually does require a fair amount of courage to actually address the thing because people, turn turns out they don't like being in pain. Yeah, yeah at all. For the most part, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and that's a pretty, um, it's a pretty effective tool. Like, who does want to be in pain? Tells us to get away from something. It's yeah. what, it's kind of its job. Yeah. Um, the issue is obviously when you're safe again, but the pain right. is still telling you to avoid. That's what mm -hmm. gets tricky. And I do. I think you mentioned something too that I that I um, want to highlight is that people that have been through a lot of trauma, they do tend to begin to shrink their world down to to stay sure. safe, yeah, pushing yeah. people away, pushing activities yeah. away, and and lives can end up really kind of small. Mm -hmm and um, very contained mm -hmm. as a part of a trauma response as well. Yeah. Can you, can you talk then, I, I kind of use the um, euphemistic term capital T trauma mm -hmm. versus little t trauma. Um, can you maybe talk about that a little more? Yeah. I kind of wish I had a whiteboard Okay, right well, let's pretend. I'm like tapping into the therapist. Everyone look here. <laughs> maybe in post-production, Coover can put one up for you. <laughs> you just trace my fingers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Give me one of those like glow sticks and do a long exposure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so if I was to draw just the capital T, right? Like you would see the shape of the capital T and it's and it, it's the shape that it is. But I could also draw the shape of a capital T with a bunch of little tiny T's. Okay. And those things together would create similar impact, mm. right? Like same um, avoidance strategies, same feelings of dysregulation, same yeah. feelings of uncertainty, yeah. and then low self-esteem too. Mm -hmm. But notice that it's, it's either that one big thing, um, or for some people, a lot of big things, or a series of small things over time that add up to the same impact of the big thing. So that's kind of what I mean whenever people sometimes fight me on the idea of, I, th I think that's traumatic what you've been through. Yeah. And they're like, no, it's not. Yeah. And I'm like, well, how do you show up because of it? And, and they start talking about all of these things that aren't choices that they're making, that it's not something that they're doing intentionally, it's not in line with their values, but they just can't seem to get away from it. It's, it's kind of like it, it just has impact no matter what you think about it. And most of us kind of let the judgment of that get in the way. But when we talk about little t traumas, sometimes those can be... Um, uh, yeah, it's just like a series of, I usually think, relational things over time. 
um, that kind of stack up that give you a certain amount of expectations of what you can get, especially from close intimate relationships. And then when I think about big T trauma, I think sometimes single incident, um, some of the things that you would probably more easily associate with trauma. Um, but I, I also jokingly say to my clients whenever I'm working with them that I think of trauma work as the wild, wild west. Like there's just, mm. there's no rules. Everyone's just out here kind of getting by and you just never know what to expect. And mm. so I think that we have ways of thinking about it without being able to say it's exactly this or it's exactly that or because of this, this is gonna happen. It just doesn't work that way. So those are just some of the things that I think about in order to conceptualize what I'm, what I'm looking at and how to explain it to someone. Mm. I, I really like that, um, the metaphor of the tease actually, and I can't wait to see what Cooper does with it. But, um, <laughs> but in all seriousness, like I, what I thought about when you were saying that is um, I used to do um, some like personal finance coaching with people. And, um, Why and it, am I learning a lot about you right yeah, now? Yeah, well, <laughs> I'm just letting my guard down. I, and, uh, and basically, you know, obviously there are some people that have like a big hospital bill from a big sure. event that kind of disrupts their budget or, mm -hmm. you know, maybe an out, outrageous student loans or something like that. But for most people, the things that break their budget are the daily trips to Starbucks mm. and then the McDonald's and then, um, you know, a little shop here, a little Ooh, Amazon there. I really there. like that analogy. Yeah. And, and, and uh, I've heard it called death by a thousand cuts, right? Yeah. And where it's... Um, where it isn't, there's no one cut that did the damage, if you will, but it is kind of that cumulative effect mm -hmm. of like, you can, I remember I had a guy um, in one of my classes that was an airline pilot actually, and so um, one of our tasks was to write down everything you spend in a month, and he like came to me and he's like, I am eating my money, and he had spent well over a thousand dollars on eating out just in a month out. just yeah. but didn't think about it like mm -hmm. it never felt never hit like a this is disrupting my um budget and mm -hmm. i think in a similar way uh when we bring this back to trauma it's like okay yeah to your point like okay we can't we don't have the big thing the big sure. event that happened mm -hmm. um in that traumatic experience but to your point like little elements of um neglect as a kid or little moments where your needs aren't being met but that being kind of consistent over time um, can be that death by a thousand cuts, if you will. Totally. Well, and, and I always think about just like the human spirit and like mm. how people are just so geared to get by no matter what the cost. Um, so here's a story that I like to share. Okay. This is, um, are you familiar with the Donner Party? Yeah. Okay. Donnie. So, yeah, yeah there's a yeah, book. It's getting morbid all It of a is, yeah. just a little bit. Yeah. Um, hang with me. So there's a book called uh, The Indifferent Stars Above. And basically in this book, it just tells the story from a first person perspective of mm. the Donner Party. So basically what happens is it's these people going west on the Oregon Trail and they leave a little bit too late in the season and they're heading west. Oops, sorry, I hit your microphone. Sorry. <laughs> they, they leave just a little bit too late in the season and they are crossing the Sierra Nevadas in covered wagons and you've got families, you've got men, you've got women, you've got babies and so essentially what happens is they get hit by an early season snowstorm that traps them in the Sierra Nevadas. So cue this just very famous story where they essentially have to turn to cannibalism in order to survive and um, when I look at, hang with me, I promise I know, I'm going I, somewhere I love how this. you just casually said it, but yes. That is, <laughs> it's just such yeah. a good book. I love it. Yeah. And basically what happened is um, 
when you look at who actually survived, who got through that, it was mostly women that survived from it. And something that I learned just from like my own experiences in the outdoors is that um, women have reproductive organs that sit in the center of their bodies. And so women are more likely to experience hypothermia because their bodies are really good at taking all the blood from your extremities and bringing it into your core. But when you're in a life or death situation, it's your core temperature that keeps you alive. Right. Whereas men are more likely to just die from the situation or from the, a low core temperature hmm. because their bodies aren't as good at bringing blood into the center. And so most of the survivors were women. So I think that story is fascinating because talk about the worst condition that you could possibly be in as a person. For sure. Something that like is, is truly a life or death situation. and there's all these different things that are true about the human body that are meant just to kind of keep you moving forward. And I think about especially women in, in that perspective, it's like we could lose a finger, we could lose a limb, but at least you're alive. Mm. And I like to think about human tenacity, like the human spirit as kind of like that. We're just geared to survive. We're, keep, we're geared to keep moving forward at no matter the cost. Mm. So that's kind of how I think of trauma in that way, because there's things that are going to happen to us. There's narratives that we're going to keep about ourselves, other people, or the world that are going to be like losing limbs, that are going to be pretty detrimental to how you keep moving forward. But if we're geared to survive, we're geared to survive. And so the body basically says, what do we not need in order to stay safe? Great. We can lose a finger. Like, that's fine. We're just going to keep moving forward. Um, so there is toughness in the human spirit that yeah. just says like i'm just nothing can break me yeah but at what cost right so it's it's the cost of that because most of us aren't walking through a snowstorm most of us aren't in a covered wagon crossing the sierra nevadas mm. so what is that for each of us and what have been the injuries along the way that you just had to kind of take to keep moving forward um, and how do you change those narratives for yourself in order to better support like a body that's able to, to live and feel regulated in this world and in relationships? Yeah, like yeah. It, in a way, um, if, you can, if you can kind of access that gratitude, like, okay, I took, you know, maybe I lost a finger or whatever mm -hmm. in this metaphor, but like, you know, maybe I took my hits along the way, but, it, but it's all an indication that I've survived. I made yes. it to this point. Like I'm geared for yeah. survival. Yeah, that's mm -hmm. exactly right. Sorry if that's too dark for this podcast. <clears throat> no, and I think, um, <laughs> remind me to never go backpacking with you. Uh, it's just like, <laughs> get a little hungry. <laughs> um, so let's talk about, <clears throat> excuse me, one, um, one of the treatment modalities for trauma is EMDR, eye movement, mm -hmm. desensitization, and reprocessing. So with, with EMDR, well, yeah, where does EMDR come from? What's the... What's the origin story? Just gonna give you my spiel. Okay, sh spiel away. <laughs> That's why you're here. Yeah. <laughs> Which you are as well, EMDR trained, and yeah. I haven't, you know, been able to actually see you do this or talk with you much about well, this. That'll be but the last part of the show. Gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about my personal yeah. trauma. <laughs> uh -huh. Yeah. Let's bring an image to mind. Um, so I'll be curious to hear like how you kind of conceptualize yeah. it in a way, but. Basically, it came from the idea that um, a, a woman was walking and thinking about difficult things and um, noticed that when she would walk and move her eyes from side to side, it, it felt less difficult to think about. Mm. Um, and so that kind of spurred this whole theory, this whole practice of EMDR, eye movement, 
desensitization and reprocessing that basically says when you're incorporating bilateral stimulation, so that side to side, um, you have better capacity to reprocess things or kind of, like I was talking about earlier, get your brain and your body back online where your brain can have a thought and your body doesn't start freaking out as a result of it. Um, yeah, anything you would add to how it came about? That was a yeah, very no, rough I think, description. <laughs> I, th I think that's exactly right. I mean, uh, yeah. that's my understanding too is yeah. that uh, her name was Francine Shapiro and yeah, she just... Um, yeah, I was just going on walks and like, why do I feel better after these walks and mm -hmm. got more and more intentional about, okay, what is this? And I, she figured out that it was this bilateral stimulation, I think, yeah. getting the, the hemispheres of the brain to talk to one another and mm -hmm. um, that seemed to help her uh, more ably process her mm -hmm. problems. That's my understanding too. Yeah, and I, I, f I just get stoked about EMDR because yeah. I think it's so cool and fair warning, I could just, I could ramble about this for quite okay. some time, so I'm gonna try to make it concise. Yeah. Um, so, you know, when you're sleeping and um, you're heard of REM sleep, random eye movement. So mm -hmm. that's when you're going to have your eyes moving side to side. That's when you're going to um, dream in those places or maybe have nightmares too. Kind of you were talking about with the, the guys coming home from war, yeah. right? Like that is a lot of times associated with I hit a certain point in my sleep and I woke up from a nightmare. So the theory is that when you're sleeping, you're processing. And when your eyes are moving side to side, that's when you're doing that at a greater speed or with greater efficiency or something along those lines. And the idea is that we're replicating that and we're saying, how can we do that in our waking hours? Um, but you remember how I was saying that humans are just kind of geared to survive. They just have this innate capacity. So think about getting like a cut on your arm or something like that. And what is your skin designed to do? Just scab mm -hmm. right like kind of heal itself back yeah. up um but if you got dirt or you got bacteria in that cut you know you would likely see something happen along the lines of it's either delayed in its healing or it might get infected or it might fester or something along those lines it's just the healing process got stunted but the skin is naturally meant to heal itself that's kind of how I think about our brains. Yeah. They, they are meant to heal themselves. They're meant to take the adaptive, the good information, the, the healthy stuff that makes you feel whole and makes you feel human. And it's, that's meant to meet the difficult things that you've also experienced and meant to make it easier to just kind of live with what you've been through um, because of the positive things. But mm -hmm. if the trauma exists kind of like a cut in your brain in that way, it, it festers or it becomes infected or whatever it is. And so when we access that ability to kind of bilaterally stimulate your brain, it gives it a greater chance to kind of clean out some of that, that bacteria or some of that, um, whatever it is that's keeping you stuck in that place. Yeah. Um, so at least those are some of the analogies that I offer with it. Yeah. Um, but th then going back to the whole, it feels like the wild, wild west because I'm like, that's how I conceptualize this. And some of it still does kind of feel magical in that way. For it's, sure. it's hard to really put my finger on, like, this is exactly how this works, and here's <clears throat> how I know that people get better because of it. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's fair. But what we do know is people mm -hmm. um, do get better. Mm -hmm. I, have, I have another little story. Maybe you haven't heard it. Maybe you have. I guess we'll see. <laughs> um, so part of doing EMDR training is you kind of, you also get to go through EMDR, mm -hmm. at least that's how it was when I went through the yeah. training. And um, I had a thing happen to me. Uh, that I worked on in EMDR, and I'm going to tell that story right now. Um, when I was uh, a little bitty baby counselor, um, I had I was working with substance use people with substance use uh, disorder, 
And I had a, a client who um, I was doing his intake in my office and um, he was quite fidgety, couldn't sit still. Um, but I did the intake and, and then we left my office. I'm, I'm sure I went to get a cup of coffee. If you know me, that definitely happened. And um, when I came back to my office, this client had the chair he was sitting on was flipped upside down. And I'm like, okay, what, what are you doing, man? And he's like, I lost my phone. So we flipped the chair back over. I'm like, oh, I'll help you find it. And I shoved my hand down into the couch and come out and there's a hypodermic needle hanging out of my thumb. Oh my gosh. Um, which I didn't love. Uh, it was not great news for me. Uh, it was really uncomfortable. Um, I kindly asked the guy to leave uh, for obvious reasons. And like, it, it was upsetting. Like, I didn't know what was on the needle. Like, you know, it was obviously didn't have a cap and it was a used needle. So, like, it was um, an unpleasant experience mm -hmm. to say the least. And um, I kind of got over it, right? Like, uh, but what I figured out is that um, I would position myself on furniture so that I would never be touching like mm. the crack of a seat cushion or even kind of the back yeah. part of a chair or couch. Sure. And it, but it didn't really affect my life much. Like I, I knew how to sit down and I would never, ever, ever put my hand into the, into the cushion or anything like that. And, and so I just kind of filed it away and moved on with my life. And yeah. then when the CMDR class came out, they're like, okay, get, don't bring up your, you know, deepest, darkest, but bring up a little trauma or, right. or um, and so sure enough, I bring that up and go through the EMDR and I, Honestly, I pictured it like mm -hmm. on a train moving by me, which is can be a strategy mm -hmm. for it. And um, and now, like I, it has no like I can search for things in a couch cushion and all that. And yeah. and it's just crazy because obviously I avoided all that because I every couch might have a hypodermic needle sure. in it. Yeah. Um, but actually, in the real world, even you know, I, there's no hypodermic needles in my house. Mm -hmm. You know, like that's, that's just not going to happen. And so, going through that EMDR process, um, and it like. The person who did that with me, like it was her first time being a facilitator of EMDR. Like it worked really quickly, yeah. two pretty quick sessions and um, that little medium T, not quite capital, but not quite little, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> middle sized T um, <laughs> trauma uh, quickly cleared out. Yeah. It was kind of cool. Yeah. And, and, and I don't know what resource you had in that, that you incorporated into that situation. Yeah. To, so that when you think back on it, you likely probably also remember something else. Like sometimes what I tell people is I don't, I don't know what your brain is gonna mm. do. I just, I trust your brain and, yeah. I, and I trust human nature in yeah. that way that they want to get better. Like you want to be able to sit down and not feel like wary of whatever's in the cracks around yeah, the, of course. the cushions. Yeah, you know? that's exactly right. And, and you know, obviously like in the class, like we didn't travel through any sure. kind of channels of trauma, if sure. you will, but like, I don't know. It was just a, it was a really cool and good mm -hmm. experience, and and made me an early believer in mm -hmm. in the process for sure. Because I noticed the actual result of it. <laughs> um, so, Maddie, talk through like okay. So we talked about um, bilateral stimulation or whatever, but practically, what mm -hmm. what is EMDR? What do, what do you do? Yeah. What do you do with your hands? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So there's a lot of different ways that you can approach it, honestly, and and most most people will find something that either fits the therapist the best or fits the client the best. Mm -hmm. And basically where I'll start is something that is more on the positive end for someone. So I, I want them to know that if they're gonna dip a toe into what's hard, that they're gonna be able to get out of the pool. Mm -hmm. So if we start with 
you know, the worst and the scariest, it's probably going to be really overwhelming yeah, to begin flooding, with. But yeah. we start with what we call resourcing. And so it's like, you know, how's your breath work? Can you notice things in your body? Are you, I call it somatically connected. Like, do you, do you have the capacity to feel a feeling and notice how it affects your body? Um, everyone has the capacity to do that. It's just a matter of how familiar we are with it. And so a lot of times we might have to spend some time kind of working there and saying like, can you regulate yourself? Can you notice what it feels like physically to feel good and regulated versus dysregulated and kind of stuck in that negative pattern? There's a couple different ways that we do that. One of them is the, the safe place activity where we um, introduce the bilateral stimulation and basically say, we're gonna practice this at a much more slow, maybe kind of shorter pace. And I'm gonna have you think of a positive place and we're gonna run through the the senses connected with that. So things you can see, things you can touch, things you can smell. And usually when someone finds a good spot, it's like they feel calmer or they, they notice the tension kind of leaves their body in a way. So we kind of play with that for a session or two and just see how effective it is mm -hmm. because we want to find something that's effective for the person before we have them kind of jump into the pool. Um, yeah, anything you would add to the resourcing process? So talk about, oh no, not to the resourcing. Okay. So I was just going to tell you, ask you to talk about like bilateral stimulation and what is that yeah. practically? Like Great. there's a variety of ways that people achieve that, but yeah. Yeah. So obviously, as the name implies, eye movement, desensitization, reprocessing, the initial method of practicing this was um, a, a therapist or a practitioner holding up fingers and having you follow with yeah. the eyes. Um, it's effective in that way, and it definitely works. And there's people that I know that, that still do that, but I think, at least for me, what I found is that my eyes would get dry or mm. I would start feeling tension in my yeah. eyes, and I was focusing more on that than what I was thinking about. And so I, I don't love that as a therapist or a client. It also feels kind of weird to put my fingers in someone's face and yeah, say like, okay, sure. here, here's my hand. And your, your shoulder face. gets tired, like all totally, kinds of problems. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then there's um, some people will do tapping or something mm -hmm. along those lines that they call it like a butterfly hug where you yeah. like go here and just try to hit my microphone. Hit the microphone, yeah. <laughs> um, and then um, there's a light bar out there that um, does the same eye movement, but instead of the therapist putting their hand up, the client just follows the eyes. Um, I actually did bring my therapist tappers with me and this okay. is my favorite um so i'm just going to show what's what's all in it so you've got this little container or box thing um and that's what you would plug these guys into i had a client recently call these pickles okay yeah you plug <laughs> the pickles into <laughs> and most people will ask me um do these shock me? And the answer is no. They are just question. like little buzzers. Yeah. I think people associate it with like, um, like old school, like electroshock therapy. And it's nothing Not like that. that. Yeah. Not like that at all. So yeah. basically I just turn it on and you can feel them kind of. It's like your phone vibrating, right? Like it's like a yeah, hepatic for movement. Sure. Yeah. yeah. It just feels like a very soft, gentle vibration. And I can change like the speed, I can change the intensity, I can change the pause in between them. Mm. And there might be different reasons why I might change those for the client. Um, sometimes it can help kind of increase that processing speed or help them kind of get over the hump of something difficult if, if the stimulation changes. But this is my favorite because I think it lets people just kind of be passive and, and receive the bilateral stimulation versus having to create it themselves or for them to focus on me and what I'm doing. It's just a flick of a switch for me. Yeah. So yeah. What did, what did you use? Did <clears throat> yeah. Old, I, 
I would have people put a pillow on their lap and then I would tap with my own fingers the backs of their hands. Oh yeah. Um, which that uh, that was a little that was somewhat how I was trained. Mm-hmm. But then like when you're doing that, you're also bilaterally stimulating yourself because you're like tap tap tap. Yes. Tap. So yes. I'd really like focus on things and keep myself <laughs> grounded because otherwise I can just like be wandering off and yes. into my own land so and actually yeah. I have a story about that I when I first started doing that on that little box there's lights that go back <laughs> and forth that tell me which one's lit up and yeah. how long it's buzzing for and I remember counting because yeah, I want to make sure that I'm you know giving the right dose or whatever yeah. and you know making sure that the person is you know getting as much as they're supposed to and I was having these vivid dreams and I would wake up exhausted. I remember just passively mentioning that to someone on staff one day and she goes, are you watching the lights on your Theratapper? And I was like, yes, I am. And she goes, stop, (laughs) don't do that because it's going to, it's going to activate something in you. That's like that. Yeah, exactly right. That is so funny. (laughs) That is funny. I I do think, um, like kind of the, the edges of EMDR too is like, it's Mm -hmm. a, it's a, the clients always have uh, the brake pedal is how I would say it. Like they yeah, can always interrupt it. Totally. Um, it's so important for people to feel safe and like they're mm-hmm. in control because that often is what kind of traumatic events cause you to feel Absolutely. out of control. Like the little yeah. story I told about the needle in my chair, like that is way beyond my control. Mm-hmm. And like, um, so kind of having a safe space where you're like, okay, I can, I'll only go as far as I, as I want to. I always have the opportunity yeah. to hit the brakes and be like, no, I'm getting too stimulated or too, too flooded. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think that, that part matters a lot. And, um, and I think, you know, it isn't, it's sometimes as clinicians, I think it's helpful to like give little prompts. Like I, it, it'd just be best if we kept going, but if you want to stop, we can mm-hmm. stop. But or is there um, a way that you we're can almost make through this, this. More safe Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, cause it is, there's an element of it that is kind of exposure therapy. Mm-hmm. Like people, like people, it, these images come into their minds yeah. and, uh, like that can be stressful, but, totally. um, but giving people strategies to kind of keep mm-hmm. walking through it, I think is really helpful. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's, I think, part of the informed consent part of this for, sure. for me, because I'll kind of give the spiel, I'll show the person, here's the paddles, here's the pickles, right? Like, yeah. notice that it's not shocking you, it's a gentle buzz. And I think when people have the informed consent, they're able to well, part of that is then this might be really distressing, right? Yeah. Something that I was taught was um, in, in the EMDR training that I took was the only way through is through, yeah. right? So it there's no there's no trick there's no you can't um, you can't really bypass it in yeah. a way, and there's been times that even when I offer that or when I say like I want you to know that this could be really difficult, um, some people will um, you know kind of finish a, a session or something and say like. I felt like pain in my stomach Mm. or I felt like I genuinely couldn't catch my breath or I didn't expect that to be so hard. And that's not true for everyone, but I think that there is a certain amount of like, as you're excavating and as you're kind of touching those tender spots in your emotions or your memories, it, it, it involves a bit of that kind of pain in that way. But again, keeping it safe, making sure the person knows that it's only what they can tolerate, that, that everything about their situation is safe. It's just, it's emotionally distressing. Yeah. And that's the scale that we use, right? right. Like, I'm going to give you a scale from zero to 10. Can you tell me how distressed you are right now? And someone's like, this is my 10. And I'm like, okay, right? Like, we're yeah. just going to keep working until you say we're not, right? Yeah. And that's and that's my job is to make sure that, that I have them, that I'm able to kind of help regulate them and to help them get over the hump whether that's we're going to take a break or let's stand up or let's change how we're doing this or who's a positive person that you can bring into this memory for you so there's lots of different ways that we can 
kind of like jumpstart the reprocessing process in a way um, that makes it feel like they can handle being in that memory without losing a sense of who they are or where they are. Yeah. Right. Like that. I think that's an important piece too. just making sure that there's safety for the person. Yeah, I think I think that's so huge. And so kind of as we wrap up the, the thing, like I mentioned about my little story or whatever, like it, it often doesn't take a ton of time. Right. To, like it doesn't yeah. take 42 sessions Mm-mm. or three years of this usually. Right. Um, and all that to say, like my experience too of with myself and with other people working through trauma, sometimes you kind of clear things and then down the road other things mm-hmm. might come up, but it doesn't mean yeah. that it, I had to spend all that time right. in between uh, going through therapy, like just sometimes things come up. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like, can you talk about how expedited it can be to kind of get somebody through something that seems pretty major? Yeah, I think um, there's something about, it, it's kind of, let me back up. I'm gonna answer your question indirectly. So okay. when, when you do therapy, we call it talk therapy, right? right? Like you're sitting there and you're having a conversation and sometimes you find healing by um, accessing compassion for yourself or making connections and making sense of something or talking skills and, and strategies with your therapist. I kind of view that as like one side of therapy and then the other side of therapy is the body part of all of it. And that, that's what I'm talking about when I say that your brain and your body don't agree. And so is there, well, this is the realm where you're maybe not talking as much. Right. You're not, um, no, you're not communicating really with your therapist other than what you're experiencing. And then it's up to them and their training to kind of help kind of guide you along the way. But you're, you're just experiencing, you're just in your body and you're noticing things as they come up. And so when you're, when you're actually like doing the thing itself, you'll notice that, okay, now that I've done a few sets of the bilateral stimulation, I notice that my body doesn't react as much when I talk about that thing, or um, mm. I never viewed it from that perspective, mm. or I, I feel a little bit more zoomed out from it. And now I notice that that was just a kid or I noticed that that parent really, really had their own thing going on too. It actually had nothing to do with me. So it's, it's kind of like stepping into that and experiencing it differently helps you then remember it differently. And it doesn't, it doesn't always like change the memory for you. I mean, like I said, wild, wild west, you never know exactly what's going to happen. But I think when, when you feel differently about what happened or you view it differently or your body has a different response, it's a whole different kind of healing than I talked about this and I made a conclusion and I, and I think I've made peace with yeah. that thing. Um, and that can happen in a session, right? Not always. Yeah. And there's a lot of people that um, I feel like I just get to scratch the surface with them in, in, in their time in our program. And there's some people that um, will do a few sessions and they'll come to me, you know, the next week and be like, it's still, it still feels better. Okay. Yeah. Like it, I didn't think that this thing that I'd been holding on to for so long wouldn't affect me in that way anymore. But they're like, I keep thinking about it just to see if it still works, and it does. Yeah. So I think that's really interesting. It is so interesting. Yeah, because it gets you out of your head and it gets you into your experience. Yeah, it's, yeah. and and like in, in my little story, like it doesn't change the memory. The thing still happened to totally. me. It still sucked, but mm-hmm. it wasn't, I don't feel anything. Mm-hmm. Like I don't get a flood of like fear or, agitation Mm -hmm. or anger at that person like I just like 
Oh yeah, that happened. Yeah, that was wild. Yeah, um, you're able to but, kind of see it as detached like from that. Yeah, from, truth. Yeah, and it's just okay. This is just what it was. Exactly. Um, so I don't. I honestly don't feel anything in my body when I talk mm -hmm. about that. So, um, Maddie, I, I just want to thank you. I think this was a, a lively discussion about trauma and EMDR. Um, and the daughter party. And, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad we scripted that in. Uh, <laughs> beforehand um but anyway thanks thanks you all for uh watching and uh we'll see you soon